may not have a film fixation, but we're here for a noir education. Welcome to A Real Education Noir. I am Melissa, and I am joined, as always, by Tanya. And uh, usually we have Allie with us, but not today. We have a stunt Allie. Say hello, Sean. Hello. Sean is one of my former co-workers uh, from Suncoast Motion Picture Company, if anybody remembers that. So uh, he has uh, stepped in to help us out with this episode. So today we are watching a movie called The Testament of Dr. Mabusa. Is, what do we know about the Testament of Dr. Mabusa? I don't know anything, but I want it to be like Dr. Fives. Okay. <laughs> All right. Which, you know, just because. Well, I, I mean, why wouldn't you want that? <laughs> honestly. Honestly. Uh, Sean, what do you know about Testament of Dr. Mabusa? I know absolutely nothing about it, but uh, maybe it'll be like the island of Dr. Moreau. Ooh. Ooh sinister with The doctors. one with Val Kilmer? Uh, well, you can take your pick. Although, <laughs> it does have, uh, what's his face? Uh, Brando. Marlon uh, Brando. Brando, yeah. So. <laughs> I can guarantee you there is no Marlon Brando content in Testament Aww. of Dr. Mabusa. Is there Sidney Poitier? No, there is not. Darn. It, this predates Sidney Poitier. Wow. Uh, this is 1933. Ooh, that's really yes. early. So this is a movie uh, directed by Fritz Lang, the same gentleman who made Metropolis. It's one of his German films. Uh, this is the last movie he collaborated with uh, Thea von Harbo on, who was his wife at the time. Uh, she was the woman who wrote Metropolis and many other novels and screenplays. And they, I think they did... 10 movies together or something like that while they were married and uh but this is the last one because um <clears throat> well this was germany in 1933 and uh long's mother was jewish and the nazis just came to power and joseph goebbels didn't like this film but theo von harbo was a nazi so you know that that marriage did yeah. not go well well and- <laughs> yeah it well it could have but Having someone tell you, I decide who's Jewish. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, not, yeah. yeah I, I would, yeah. I would do what he did and leave. Yeah, yeah. It, and this is before uh, Long fled, but this was the whole beginning of him pissing the Nazis off. So go him, go Fritz Long. This yeah. is a middle chapter. This is a movie that is based on a series of books uh that are were kind of like a crime thrillers yeah. uh in the vein of Fu, the fu manchu series of <laughs> oh, books. God. oh god uh, kind of kind of kind of but they it, it's just one of those novel series pulp okay fiction okay sort of things okay. and uh fritz long adapted three of them into movies oh. the first one he did was in 1922 a movie called uh, dr mubu's at the gambler uh, which is something like four hours long, and I've, <gasps> I've got it in my closet somewhere, and I haven't, <laughs> I haven't sat down and watched it. But it's, um, it's a really great example of his really surrealistic-looking silent films. And then this is the middle chapter, and this one, along with one of his other movies by the name of M, was very influential on the film noir genre, which came later, especially after. Long fled Germany and came to America and started working for Hollywood. 
So we're going to uh, I'm going to I'm going to stop talking now and we're going to actually watch the movie. So, dear listeners, uh, I urge you to find this movie and watch it. The Criterion Collection does have a really, really nice two disc edition of it uh, that includes like all versions of the film, the original German version, the French version that they made with different actors. And I think they even have the American version on there, which is a weirdo edit thing and a number of uh, interviews and things like that. Very interesting disc, so I urge you to seek it out. So we're going to go off and watch it. Please uh, join us, and then we will be back on the podcast in a few seconds to discuss the movie. Yay! Woohoo! Many criminals have been brainwiped into being other criminals. Well, possessed. Possessed. There have been possessions and glass alligators everywhere. So, so what, do, what do we think of the testament of Dr. Mamouza? I quite enjoyed it. Excellent. That was amazing. <laughs> I totally need to see more German expressionism. <laughs> or, yeah. Well, I'm happy to provide such things. Yay! It, I've, I've been meaning to watch uh, Dr. Mamouza the Gambler for a while, and I've had the DVD borrowed from uh, Eric Heidemann for like four years. So <laughs> like we should, we should just, you know, watch it sometime because that that's absolutely. I'm up for that. Bonkers. If it's as good as this. Yeah. Hell it, it's yes. like the silent film version of this. It's, oh. it, so it's even more visually potent. Yeah. And, and then there's a third movie that Fritz Long made of uh, furthering the Dr. Mabuza series called the thousand eyes of Dr. Mabuza, Ooh. which he made in 1960. Uh, that would yeah. be a trip. Yeah. So he would have made it when he was, after he'd been working in Hollywood for many years. Yeah. In yeah. the 60s? Yeah. Yeah. I'm down for that too. So, so yeah. And you know, ultimately, there was a whole series of Mabusa stuff. So there were five books. There were 12 movies, ultimately. Different people were making them. Um, I think a few of them even starred Peter Lorre. Uh, yeah, I told I know, right? you Peter Lorre should show up some point. <laughs> well, of course, because uh, Peter Lorre was in... Yeah. He, was, he was still in Germany at this point, wasn't he? Um, if he hadn't left yet, he was very close to leaving. Right. Uh, yeah, he, he collaborated with uh, Fritz Lang on M., which mm-hmm. uh, we should also visit during this podcast at some Yay! time because because it's a magnificent and haunting, terrifying movie, and uh, it has Peter Lorre in it, Yay! one of his final roles. So, guys, since this is your first time seeing it, more more of what you thought. Uh, well, definitely the police inspector steals the show. Yes, for me. Yes, uh, uh, he you- his character actually comes from M. Although oh. things same actor, same character. Nice. Commissar Loman. Loman. So, Loman. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, he's a, uh, 
apparently just his name inspires fear in the in the uh, criminals in the movie because <laughs> they just decided to give up when they did when they hear that he's outside but i think just uh his mannerisms and his uh you know he, he really we were joking about you know csi and things like that but he really is kind of a uh big personality precursor to to those kind of uh, procedural shows yeah didn't we didn't we say it was like the german hercule plot role yeah yeah yeah, pretty much it is the structure of a police procedural Mm -hmm. and and that's not entirely new i mean there were some very early hitchcock films that were kind of had the same plot that you know preceded this so it was already a thing yeah and and the the use of forensics is really like i commented too like not a lot has changed. Well, in I'm some like, areas of forensics, yes. Yes. But ballistics are pretty much Ballistics the same. are pretty... Because they were using the trajectory and they were using, like, how it looked and what grooves and, were on it for yeah, firing. the rifling and, and everything, yeah. 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 It was also kind of uh, reading the crime scene and, and getting clues off of the uh, word etched in the glass mm-hmm. and yeah. various yeah. things like that. It, it's fascinating to watch that. It's like, yeah, that's pretty much the same thing we do right now, except we have... Computers <laughs> <laughs> and DNAs. And DNA. Yeah, yeah. DNA, yeah, DNA is probably is the big, big thing. <laughs> That's pretty big. That's pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> Although it's funny, a lot of the stuff developed in between has kind of been debunked lately, or at least called into question, like uh, fingerprinting and mm-hmm. hair analysis and fiber analysis and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, Don't. Yeah, it's it's interesting stuff. Of course. I was surprised that the photographer who was uh, shooting the clue. Like, I'm surprised he didn't get pissed off at the dude for putting something in front of his camera. <laughs> it's like, oh, I just put that in focus. Yeah, I know. It's like, come on, it takes ten minutes. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that it, When you're wrangling a bellows camera like that, that's just a pain in the ass. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> so, uh, also, uh, everybody's in love with the glass alligator. Yes. Yeah. No, but the okay. surreal glass elevator the s- for the... Because, yeah. wow, either one. I can't, I looked, I couldn't find them on an immediate Google search. So I'm okay. probably, they're not probably for sale anywhere. Or, <laughs> you know, they've been destroyed, which is really sad. But if anybody wants to send us one as a present to our podcast, we would love you forever. Yes. Oh my God. Absolutely. Okay, so dear, dear listeners, please send glass alligators to us. Yeah. Yes. Hard to find collectibles from an 80-year-old movie. <laughs> Just make one. I mean, they can spec that, right? <laughs> just like I kind of with the still shot. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> that's how that works, right? <laughs> that's how they do art. I'm sure we have some listener who does glass blowing or something and can that make us sweet. a replica alligator. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, but speaking of the yeah. dream sequence, yeah, that- slash. Well, the, the crazy alligator part. Yeah, it's kind of more insanity rather than yeah, a, yeah. a dream sequence. Yeah, the the portrayal of a guy who has you know lost his mind and it, and is repeating this over and over in his head that that set that's made of glass and everything is exaggerated oh. and weird and then the the scrim and the, the lighting and the, and the yeah and uh, the double exposure of the people standing there and then them moving yeah there's forward. a lot of really really cool double exposure oh. and actually yeah. triple exposure on a couple things yeah yeah, yeah. it was so good the 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 one where the, the one that stumps me is the one where the double exposure actually hands documents to 
the guy in the main exposure. It's like, okay, how? How? So how, how are they doing sound back then? Because I'm wondering if what they did was have them count it out. Like, you know, how slowly they moved. So then each time they had them marked in the same place, so they would move their arms back to receive at the same time. So you could do... Or the the only th- the other thing that I'm wondering is if they took two exposures, one of um, an empty set and one of both oh. actors on it, and then they cut the negative in half. So would that be the first split screen? No, 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 no. the The Russians were doing oh, okay. split screen and and matte paintings and stuff in the silent era. Okay. So that that's that's not new, but that that is still a very important That was shot. amazing. Or yeah. yeah, just covering part of the lens. Yeah. Um yeah. to get the split screen effect. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, cuz the the scrim stuff they've been doing in theater for for years oh, to yeah. have that like see-through scrim stuff, but the but that double exposure is just yeah. amazing. Yeah, and there's and you know, obviously that that sort of stuff had been used in in German film for a long time, dating back to uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, where all of the sets were paper and it was very, very stagey. So there's all of these uh, German directors of this ilk were all working together and, you know, sharing film crews and all that. And and the, there's a very similar look to... Murnau films versus Fritz Long films versus uh, the dude who made Caligari, whose name I can never remember. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dreyer kind of had a really unique look to him, but but there's I've, I've seen yeah. the Caligari, and there it, there certainly is a, a kind of thematic uh, similarity to that. Yeah, because uh, it I was definitely reminded of that. Oh, Robert Vine Vina Vina Vina. W I E N E. Yeah, I'm trying to remember how my German goes. Weine. 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 No sprechen Sie Deutsch. I spreche Deutsch. In bitte. In bitte. But yeah, it's a beautiful film to look at. And this is only a couple years into the sound era, which is fascinating too, because you can hear. Um, well, that the, the opening with the it's all just the factory light. The you see this in early Hitchcock films too, or you know anybody who bridged the silent and, and sound era. These directors got just super fascinated and really incorporating sound. So in this, you hear that you know not just that amazing opening scene, but also the the scene where the gas is coming into the room and and the two people are trapped there, and that that metronome mm-hmm. sound or um well and the, even, even the use of like yeah. um how the plot used sound and yeah. recorded sound was mm-hmm. really fascinating too the the assassins in the car yeah using using car horns to cover oh, yes, the, the yes. sound of the gunshots yeah all sorts of stuff like that it, it's amazing to see so you know even though some parts of this movie drag along a little bit the the, the real set pieces where crimes mm-hmm. are happening the action pieces are just so good. And, and you know, when you get bored, you can look for, like, uh, German Bob Hope. Yes. Or... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were we were equating all of the actors to other, <laughs> you know, modern American actors. So we had German Bob Hope. We had uh, German Steve Buscemi. Yep. We had... Uh, <laughs> well, there was Fat Hitler, who was not... A, yeah, Fat Hitler. Not Fat an American Hitler. actor, but... <laughs> but, you know, Fat Hitler. Everybody knows Fat Hitler. <laughs> he needs a spinoff. 
<laughs> so I feel like we've launched into this. We've kind of gotten away from the habit of like describing the plot for the poor people who can find the <laughs> so Sorry. Like, they're Whoops. going, what the hell is going on? So, okay, in a nutshell, this movie is about this crime ring led by a master hypnotist who's in an insane asylum, but the master hypnotist dies and he like transports his soul into his doctor. And yep. so the doctor, like the Wizard of Oz, starts running the crime ring from behind a curtain. And meanwhile, there's an inspector who's chasing this whole thing down. So that's yep. it. And they're, they're, well, the subplot is yeah. the uh, criminal with a heart of gold who yeah. has a love interest that changes him from the evil, oh, I must go kill people, to the, oh, I will give it up for my love mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yes. Because so, apparently you need those. Cr- criminal turn, good guy, you know, works with the inspector to yeah. bring down said crime ring led by possessed doctor. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the it's it's interesting seeing the police procedural storyline come into contact with this bizarro yeah it's a weird supernatural uh, kind of yeah supernatural ish but really fascinated with what psychology was yeah. in the day and- well I thought it was fascinating that they had like the psych- the doctor talking to students of psychology yeah. at the beginning and explaining. What is now called PTSD. Yeah. Um, you know, which is really fascinating because a lot of that was so cutting edge. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's a personal fascination of mine too. So, oh, of course. It was cool. <laughs> it's still cool. It's still cool. Well, coming out shortly after World War One is, is when a lot of that came to light. You know, right. the shell shock from World War One, people just getting shelled, literally. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I don't think that. Uh, there wasn't uh, knowledge on that scale mm-hmm. uh, well, of of that type of thing yet. And so it, it probably was at the forefront of psychology at the time. Well, I would mm-hmm. think so because war kind of changed with World War One, yes. And so the the amount of ammunition and, and kinds of things that were going on on the battlefield and even to civilians were very much different than, say, you know, the Revolutionary War or even the Crimean War that was more recent or closer to World War One. Mm-hmm. Stuff fucks with your head, people. It does. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah, it's interesting looking at this through the lens of this is coming on the tail of Weimar Germany, which is um, a, a massive, massive recession. Oh, yeah. Uh, just... Of colossal proportions. Oh, yeah. We were like, she tries to give him 20 marks. Yeah. Like, he's in the unemployment office, and we're like, so that'll buy you what? A cup of coffee, maybe? Because this was when people were taking wheelbarrows (laughs) full of money Mm -hmm. to the grocery store to buy bread. Yeah, they like I, I think by this point the mark had been restructured, but which is which is why it was twenty marks instead of two thousand marks. Yeah. But <laughs> it was just it, it was ridiculous. Uh, the the country is just starting to recover a little bit and then of course, you know, in the unrest, that's the rise in the Nazi Party. And the Nazi Party came to power in January nineteen thirty-three, which is while well, this was still being filmed, and as I was talking while we were watching the movie both Fritz Long and the author of the uh, the original Mabusa books uh, were like slipping social commentary and uh, you know specifically some of the you know specific language used in Nazi propaganda into mm-hmm. some of Dr. Mabusa's words and yeah it's yeah. it which is why when this film screened in front of Joseph Goebbels <laughs> he banned it 
And um, this film was not seen in Germany until 1951. Yep. Yeah, you can pretty easily see how the uh, creative, well, any, anyone with with creative types who who could say anything about society were were pretty quickly silenced mm-hmm. and looked for other ways to get their their uh, work out there. Or they were employed. In the case of uh, Fritz Lang's wife, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because creativity yeah. works for propagandist fascists, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the Nazis would not be who they are today without the designers and mm-hmm. the architects and the... Oh, so yeah. when when they do the big reveal that it's, that it's a, a microphone or a loudspeaker that, yeah. that gives the orders, all I could think of was the fact that the dude who created a loudspeaker blamed himself for Hitler. Mm-hmm. Because Hitler would not have had the ability to reach as many people mm-hmm. had he not had electronic amplification right. for his speeches. Right. And so I saw that and I saw him shooting it. And like, that was all I could think of for like 10 minutes. Cause I was like, Oh my God, like this is what's coming. If that dude had known that that loudspeaker guy felt that way, what a metaphor. Like if Fritz mm-hmm. Lang had done that on purpose. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's interesting looking back at this movie, you know, knowing what, came after it yeah a fascinating movie to watch even today the i i I keep going back to that opening scene because i remember first watching this movie and the the opening scene just blew me away with how well it was constructed Mm -hmm. and how fascinating it was oh you're engaged yeah you are moment one one. moment one Mm -hmm. because loud 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 dude behind a thing like Mm -hmm. gun suddenly and then yeah just well, it's a, it's it's in t- built entirely on the strength of uh, uh, Fritz Lang's visual st- mm-hmm. storytelling, and it's all visual because nobody can talk, and you know the part of the plot of that scene is nobody can hear anything except for that grinding noise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the character who's a, um, I guess he was a former cop, a yeah. former police officer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was trying to infiltrate this ring and and. Just his physical acting is is really powerful. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, throughout great. the thing because he's because yeah, he ends he's up getting increasingly insane. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. so much fun to watch all these actors and and uh, of course Mabuza is co- uh, played by the guy who played Rotwang in uh, Metropolis. Yep. which is always fun to see. Best uh, hair ever. Yeah, he has such great crazy hair. <laughs> such great crazy hair. I um, appreciate a good crazy hair. Did you? Did you know he was married to Theo von Harbo before <gasps> Fritz Lang married her? No. Yeah. So, uh, uh-huh. okay, the guy's name is Rudolf Klein Rudiger, who, uh, he was a stage actor in Germany, and he and Theo von Harbo married in, like, 1914, I think, and then eventually moved to Berlin because her her fame was on just a meteoric rise. Mm-hmm. He, he was making, um, I think I found the numbers here, it was like 12,000 marks per year and she was making 100,000 marks per year. That was her salary and she could make more if they moved to Berlin. So they moved to Berlin and it wound up being too much strain on their relationship. So uh, 1921, they broke up and they parted as friends and then she went and married Fritz Long the year after that. And then they were together until he fled Germany. Right. <laughs> which was not too long after this movie. Now, did he do his own cinematography for this? Um, or did I, he have like a DP? He, or... he had, he had a, a director of photography. Okay, because yeah. a lot of the things that I think 
you come to associate classic noir with, you yeah. see in here, you get the Venetian blinds. Oh, yeah. You get the shadowy, like, yeah, you, and out you, of the, the, the policeman coming out of the thing. You get the gun sticking through a hole. Mm-hmm. You get the, like, so many of those. I was like, oh, I've seen that, and I've seen that, and I've seen that. Mm-hmm. You get the Bauhaus architecture yes. and, and all that stuff. Yeah, it's... Uh, really remarkable looking at it. But it, Chris Lang was one of those guys who, when he found people he liked working with, he'd work with them all the time. So, okay. uh, like Rudolf Klein Ruge, he was in Metropolis. They made 10 films together. Okay. And there are a couple other actors from Metropolis that you can see in here, uh, like the guy who was the. The jeweler uh, in the pinstripe? Yeah, the guy in the pinstripe. Stripe. The candy stripe suit was from Metropolis. I need a suit like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody needs a suit like that. Or Instant barbershop quartet. Or the guy playing the inspector who was from M. That's Otto mm-hmm. Wernicke. Uh, yeah, they you'd always see a lot of the same people. And, and of course, um, uh, Theo von Harbo wrote a ton of uh, Fritz Lang's scripts. And they collaborated very heavily together until they split up. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, after long after World War II was done, Fritz Lang... I think he returned to Germany to make an adaptation of one of her novels. Oh, uh, and and uh, made yet another movie based on one of her scripts. But I think she had passed away by that time. Okay, because she, um, while she did survive World War II, she went into a, a British POW camp for a short while after the war, and then um, I think she only lived. She got out, but she uh, only lived a few more years after that and passed away. Yeah, I was going to say she died shortly fairly, after the war. Fairly yeah. close to the end yeah. of the war. Yeah. There's our tragic well, death <laughs> for <laughs> the podcast. Tra- well, not just that. I, if I remember right, Fritz Long's first wife committed suicide. Oh, no. <laughs> so That counts. Yeah, he, he didn't have much luck with women in that sense, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> one commits suicide, the other one's a Nazi. Well, you know. What can you do? <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> Women these days, I don't know. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Thank you, Woody uh, Allen. <laughs> yeah. There were apparently many things that caused them to break up, but apparently one of them was uh, Fritz Lang came home one day and found her in bed with an Indian journalist uh, who, after he split with Von Harbo. She married the journalist, well, secretly because the uh, Nazis. Yeah, did I was going to say they wouldn't high stature women to yeah. marry people of color. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the war was over, her her defense was that she wasn't re- you know really oh, working. I'm for not the Nazis. really a racist. I have a black friend. I have I have a black sort of husband, but also uh, she was claiming that she had only colluded with the Nazis to help the plight of people of color in Germany. And eh, I don't know. There's a lot she, of contention about what she was really doing. Yeah. I don't, I don't quite buy that. Cause yeah. she, she was colluding with the Nazis and producing propaganda. And, <sighs> and she was supporting them early on and, you know, very, very vocal. Well, I was going to say she's making a hundred thousand marks by the time they moved to Berlin. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Yeah. She's, she, she's she's got something going on. Yeah. Already. Yeah. Still 
interesting woman wrote a lot of stuff that was very influential in that era. I mean, it's not bad stuff. It's no, like it's... amazing. Like Metropolis yeah. is a fantastic sci-fi. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just really sad that there's this other part to the person who created it. Yeah, and and she wrote the screenplay for this. Mm-hmm. You know, she did the the novel adaptation, and uh, um, I believe she also worked on M, which is an amazing movie. It, it's sad the way her life went. Yeah. Of course, you know, you can still kind of see echoes of this movie today. Um, Probably most recently, The Dark Knight Returns. (laughs) Because the Nolan brothers watched this movie before making their film. And uh, so some of the the look and the dialogue of the Joker in that movie comes straight from this. Okay, that I hadn't caught. Yeah. (laughs) But wow, that doesn't surprise me. Wow. Well, some of the ideas are in there, too, about uh, disrupting society. Yeah, yeah, it's a very anarchist yeah. kind of plot. And and that's actually what, uh, specifically what Joseph Goebbels cited as the reason for having it banned. It's that any sufficiently organized group of vigilantes can take down a government. We don't want that Which being shown on screen. is true to an extent. Yeah. Um, hmm. But hmm. coming from Goebbels, it's just... Yeah, it's so creepy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's so creepy. Oh, God. So when this movie, since it didn't show in Germany until 1951, it did show prior to that be- because they made a French language film version of it. Um, and it was literally like the Bela Lugosi version of Dracula where they made the main movie during the day and the, the other, other language, language. Cast, yep. cast came in during night and filmed. <laughs> so, Somehow uh, I don't think that, that, one, that the French one would be better than the original, unlike the Bela Lugosi yeah. one where supposedly the Spanish version is fabulous. The Spanish version is amazing because the guy directing that version had a more visual sense than Todd Browning, who is kind of a lame director in my estimation. <laughs> but uh, the the problem with the, the Spanish language version is it doesn't have Bella Lugosi or... Uh, um, um, What's her name? Uh, no, no, no. The, uh, the dude who plays... Oh, Van uh, Helsing. No, no. No, no. The guy who played Renfield. Um, oh, that guy! Yeah, because he's that guy. great. Because he's great. Hold on, I'm looking it up. But that's okay. That's that's a tangent. Oh. So, like this, <laughs> like they had a whole different French cast, and they brought them in, and they remade the movie. And there are actually different plot points that were adjusted so that it would play better to a French market. And it's one of two movies that uh, Fritz Lang made in French. The other one being uh, the one he made when he fled to France from Germany. <laughs> Before he he, uh, went to Hollywood and started making movies as an American. Yay, escape from fascism. Yay, go Fritz Lang. (laughs) One of the other things I really like about this movie is the the text. Um, In a lot of movies, especially of this era from Fritz Lang, he has, uh, you know, first of all, a very visual sense of flat Mm -hmm. design because you often see like the title cards are are hand drawn and very flourish has this this really um, unique style to them. But the also the uh, pages of the the journaling that Dr. Mm -hmm. Mabuse is writing and just the the way that the words are laid yep. out on paper and uh, oh it's so yeah. artistic like i was yeah. looking and i'm like wow crazy guy knows calligraphy yeah nice yeah it's pretty sharp and you know you see that in metropolis you see that yeah you see that totally do pretty much 
everything that he made well, made from the silent era on and even the even just the letters of like the quote-unquote not crazy people like yeah. the love letters and whatever they're mm-hmm. very like they're very readable that like if you were judging handwriting like because yes. <laughs> some movies they just don't care and they'll just have the actual actor like scribble whatever but yeah, even even without the voiceover you'd be able to read them yeah mm-hmm. if you could read german Right. No, I can read the word ick. <laughs> now. Now. <laughs> so, uh, what else do we think of this movie? Well, there's a giant uh, fire scene at the oh, end. Yeah, the whole explosions! Of, explosions! So it many kind of comes out of nowhere. And... Don't put water on chemical fires. <laughs> Do, why? He wrote it in the book. Mm-hmm. Did they not tell the firefighters? Because, like, the police guy by that point knew the plan was you can't put these fires out with water. And yet, <laughs> the fire dudes are putting it out with water. Yes. Or trying to. Yeah, yeah. Guys, Chemical fires, does... you use sand. Yeah. <laughs> I know at that point it probably wasn't labeled with the little things that they have on the chemistry <laughs> lab now. <laughs> but you just... Especially when the evil guy tells you. But by that point, I think that the best that they could do is um, minimize the destruction. So they're you know yeah. moving moving train cars of chemicals yeah. out, of, out yeah. of the way, and which was still very smart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just like there's one cart that they can't move anymore because it's on fire and <laughs> throwing buckets of water on it, which makes it explode. Like mm-hmm. just don't don't do that. Yeah, yeah. There there are so many. Really good explosions in this movie. Are, I like yeah. the water one. Yeah. Even though that one was probably not supposed to work the way it did <laughs> scientifically. Like, I like the water explosion. The water, was, that was a. Actually, I like that whole room scene. Yeah. 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 That is Basically, one everything death that room. happens in that room, you know, from the fake person behind the curtain mm-hmm. to it being completely inescapable. You know, there's a window that's been, that's been uh, bricked up, but then even behind the bricks, there's. You know, a steel plate that he can't get through, and mm-hmm. it's you know this constructed kind of death room, uh, which is just designed to make you fuck around for three hours yep. and worry until you die. Yeah, and I just like the the kind of uh, evil mastermind <laughs> mm-hmm. idea of the whole thing. Yeah, that's that's a brilliant scene. Although. I will have to say, for being an evil mastermind, Dr. Mabusa kind of forgot some stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, he's, yeah. it also, yeah, he does seem like he doesn't have an end goal per se. He's more of a personality or a theme because, mm-hmm. you know, in the end, he, he mostly pulls off his plot, but then he doesn't really try to get away. He just continues to go in more insane. Well, he just knows that he can go to another brain at some point. <laughs> yeah, and so I... I'm, I'm, I would be interested to see, like, the next installment to see if the dude who is now Dr. Mabusa, mm-hmm. like, if he did the whole, like, if he's coming up with a different scheme or if it's, like, the same scheme but just done differently yeah. or, like, and I mean, when, you're, when your end goal is anarchy, it that's hard to be an end goal because, yeah, yeah. I mean, how there's... Do you, how do you know when you're done? Yeah, <laughs> Not only that, but it's, like natural forces, like there's a natural entropy. Oh, what's the other one? Enthalpy. Uh, yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, they kind of go back and forth. So you're not ever really going to win. Mm-hmm. Like, you're just not. <laughs> oh, it's not chaotic enough. I'll, I'll do more anarchy today. Just a little bit more anarchy. 
okay, this is good anarchy right here. Yeah, you know, yeah. Just, like, like, and, and different people will be like, oh, but but I want to know how to read. So no more <laughs> anarchy today. So <laughs> a little less anarchy. It's yeah. a little heavy on the anarchy today. Yeah, today. I, I, I'm now envisioning like a weatherman. Like, like, <laughs> new anarchy pattern and coming in from the West. We have a 60% chance of explosions today with a hard, hard line uh, 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 robbery at 3 p.m. <laughs> I lost oh, it at the end it. there, sorry. I love it. Uh, Forecast your rate of decay of civilization. <laughs> I'm totally gonna make a meme of that, just a weatherman is like <laughs> we have an anarchy front coming in today. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and with the explosions, Fritz Long set them off himself. <laughs> um with that uh, factory fire they filmed on location. It was the first thing they shot for the movie. They had like three weeks to prepare. They were moving crap out of the way. They cut down trees nearby and like repositioned trees so they'd look better for filming and all that and exploded the plant and there was a fire and they filmed it throughout the rest of the movie. Fritz Long liked to use real weapons sometimes with <gasps> Live ammunition, because I mean, remember these are the days before they figured oh, out yeah. things like squibs. Yeah, there was no you. They were not well. I mean, they tried to shoot blanks. Yeah, yeah, they were still very, very dangerous. But they were still packing bullets. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. so the the crew was terrified a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any of those scenes. Well, were and your stuntmen, like yeah. Well, because this stun, was... stuntmen hadn't really become much of a thing yet either. Well, no, but I mean, like yeah. what we consider stuntmen now. Right. Right. I mean, like they did have actors who that was their deal. Yeah, just stand. But they in. certainly weren't unionized, and they certainly weren't unionized in Germany. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. Uh, yeah, it, so that terrified crew. Well, Fritz Long was kind of a tyrannical director anyway. He was the sort of person who went. Hey, Peter Laurie, you don't look disheveled enough for this scene. I'm going to throw you down the stairs. But, uh, <laughs> but he, right down to the, the he had the monocle and the whole thing, you know, between him and um, um, uh, Otto um, Preminger. Preminger, they they had that German tyrannical director thing down pat. That's kind of where that whole uh, mm-hmm. stereotype comes from. I ain't zwei, I ain't zwei. Yes. <laughs> to quote uh, Eddie Izzard. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Built on empire. So you can imagine this guy with his little monocle just, I'm going to explode the set now. <laughs> <laughs> so did yeah. he, was the car chase back screen? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some of it. Yeah, some is, well, yeah. The, I mean, some, the, anything some... where they were shooting the actors to the windshield, that was. Okay. Yeah, back projection. Was that before or after they invented the rocker for the cars? Because that rig was kind of. It became yeah. a thing. It did become very much a thing. <laughs> like, all the way until the 70s, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, they might even still use it today, although it's got, it's now all computerized and like. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Practical Movies. effects are the best. And glass alligators. Yes! <laughs> I want more glass alligators. The glass lamp was really nice, too. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Cool. I still wanted them to give Crazy Dude an actual phone. Like, I think if they just, yeah. why can't you give the crazy dude an actual phone? Because he's trying to call people. Yeah. And be like, here, crazy dude, we'll just put this in your room and you can sing until we leave. Then you can use the actual phone. 
Yeah. And and have the police guy on the other end. Like, well, I don't see why they couldn't do that. Herr Commissar was doing fine in the room until he approached the bed. It's like, just just try yeah, that just again. Like, turn around. It, it, like, it, go face yeah. the other way. See if it works. Yeah, just, like, hide back and, you know, and It would have cut at least half an hour off the movie. Yeah, sure. <laughs> because by that point, they almost knew who... The, who Mabusa the Mabusa was. was. Like, yeah. that was kind of simultaneous to them... Figuring out the the other clue on the window. Right. How great is that window clue? Oh, that was awesome! <laughs> like backwards and like yeah, upside down, and they do and the flippy down. thing. I'm like, and the assassination in the car. Yay! Yay! Assassination. Love it. Or not? I'm completely normal and uh, well adjusted socially. Yeah. <laughs> and yet here we are on this podcast. So <laughs> I, I think we're winding down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you guys have some final thoughts at all, or? I need to watch more German Expressionism. <laughs> All right, we can we can do that. Woohoo! We can do that. Sean? Uh, I feel like a uh, like a milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> Your milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. Just some of them. J- just have the the rest of that milkshake that was left behind. By, exactly, that's by what Lily. I was referencing. <laughs> Don't abandon your milkshake, people. Oh, that was so sad. Just don't abandon your milkshake before your boyfriend tells you that he loves you. <laughs> yeah, just, oh, man. See, if you're afraid of commitment, you miss out on the milkshake. That's, <laughs> that's a life lesson right I there. think so. I think so. <laughs> I, I don't think I can get any better than that. So <laughs> I'll just close it right here. So, uh, dear listeners, we will be back uh, in about two-ish weeks when we watch Ministry of Fear. <gasps> Ooh, that's right. We are doing... Uh, George Orwell. No. It's, what? It, the Ministry of Fear, Ministry of Love. I was ah, trying to do it. 1984 see, reference. I, I, okay, I, I I see you there. Yeah. I see you there. Okay, so Ministry of Fear is another <laughs> film by Fritz Lang. It was made during the film noir era in America. Woo-hoo! So we are actually doing a little series Yay! of Fritz Lang film movies because we we've, we've got a pre noir. We're going to do Ooh. a noir, and then we're going to do a post noir <gasps> after that. Yes. So we're going to do a three first. So stay tuned and join us for our episode on. Ministry of Fear. So thank you. I have been Melissa and Tanya and Sean. And we'll see you in a couple weeks, guys. Bye-bye. Toodaloo. We hope you enjoy our film fixation. We'll see you next time on a noir education. Thank you for joining us for a Real Education Noir. New episodes arrive on the 7th and 21st of every month. You can find our podcasts and social media feeds on our website at realedunoir.com. Special thanks to Tim Wick, Jeffrey Brown, and Chad Dutton for our theme music. If you like our show, you might also like our parent podcast, A Real Education, which discusses all genres of film. You can find it on the web at realedu.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Alles klar, Herr Kommissar. <laughs> <laughs>